May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So our first reading this morning comes from the very first part of the book of Isaiah. And it tells us exactly what God thinks about religion when religion starts to miss the point. Exactly what God thinks, God thinks about religion when religion starts to miss the point. Which raises the question, of course, what exactly is the point of religion? What is it that God desires of God's people in terms of how we worship, in terms of how we gather and pray and give thanks, the ways that we dedicate ourselves and the best that we have to God, knowing that all good things ultimately come from God, come to us of God. And what we learn is that, more than anything, it seems to be about a disposition of the heart, which comes directly out of what our lives look like when we are not doing religion. So we hear of this vision, we are told, that the prophet Isaiah receives on behalf of his people from God, who is using him and uses prophets in general throughout the Hebrew Bible to speak to his people. And this is what he says. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah, already a striking choice of words, uh, of cities to reference in particular in order to make this point. It's very interesting. He says to them, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings. I do not delight in the blood of slaughtered animals at the altar. Do not come before me to my temple bringing offerings. They are futile. Incense is abominable to me. The festivals that you celebrate that correspond to the movements of the heavens, I cannot stand them. I can't stand them, but why? Why is it that he can't stand them? Is it because that there, there's something specific, something suddenly wrong with religion itself and with ritual or church life or this kind of thing? No, actually, God says, I cannot stand them because I know what you are also doing out in the rest of your life, and it does not accord with what I desire for you, with who I desire my people to be in this world, the way that I desire them to be different, to be set apart. You, my chosen people, who even in your government claim the title of being a nation under God, as it were, as they did at that time, just as perhaps we do, do you think that if you are building a society and calling it that, saying that about it, and yet the poor are not cared for, the widow is not looked after, the most vulnerable become more and more vulnerable by the day, are pushed further and further in abuse and exploitation, the rich do not share but hoard their wealth, the stranger is not welcomed in your midst. If that's what you're doing, I see you. And this, this cannot be. This is really important for us to hear today, I think, as well, this particular reading, um, partly because we don't have the same kinds of context for a lot of these ancient references that we'll hear, like Isaiah makes today. And you'll hear this sort of throughout the Bible. There's a reference made to something, a person, a place, um, and you'll think, I, I'm, I don't actually know what that means. But then it's an ancient text. There are people that um, would have at the time absolutely made these connections in ways that we don't. So actually, for example, 
when we hear about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, which Isaiah is using by way of allusion in his text to talk to his people, there's a way that we hear that and it has certain connotations to the modern ear. And yet actually, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are not fundamentally anything about, for example, homosexuality, as we understand it. We hear elsewhere in the prophet Ezekiel, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. That's it. That's actually the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, is that the poor were not helped. As it is from Isaiah's perspective, for his people, he sees their lavish religious life, and he sees the society that they are building, and he says they can't, this can't mix. These two things can't go together. And we see this tendency throughout the Bible, and indeed in our own selves if we see it in the Bible. Here we see the prophet attempting to call them back and to call each one of us back into right action, into right relationship with God and with one another. We all know, I think all of us here know, that there are all kinds of reasons that religion goes awry, that strays from its deepest purposes and can really be a scandal to the wider world. I'm thinking about our bishops who have been meeting in England in the last couple of weeks. They're just finishing up and heading back to all of our corners of the world where Anglicans, uh, Episcopal Christians, um, have a place, um, and that is all of, indeed all over the world. And I've been so disheartened in so many ways, um, even as I've been heartened in other ways, and ask me about that, um, I think we should, we should be well-rounded about it. But I think I've, I've, the, the disappointment that I have felt in hearing that some of the bishops, um, the conservative bishops, um, have been choosing to, um, advocating for the weaponizing of Holy Communion. That is that great sacrament of unity that each one of us is invited to God's table, um, that they would use that as a way to show their protest against uh, same-sex marriage. Um, I just think it's so um, frustrating and deeply, deeply missing the point. And it is precisely a way in which religion misses the point, even from those of us who stand up here, those of us who dress like this. Um, I've, I've, really been, I've really been hurt by this, um, and, and I know many of us have as well, so I want to speak to that. But whenever we, any of us, gather to pray in a place like this, it's so, it's so good to be together, and, and we can claim that, and that's not what I'm saying at all. And yet it's so important always to keep a little bit, just a little bit, of a check on ourselves and to make certain that in doing so, whatever we do in a place like this, we're keeping the main thing the main thing, and that our hearts and lives reflect the love of God which we have been given. That's it. I think about our 16th century reformers, actually, um, our sort of Protestant part of our heritage um, in this tradition, and so much of what they were trying to do in their time was to make clear that integral to the purpose of Christian religion um, has to have something to do with conversion. That what we in here, whatever we do and say in here, has to speak to our souls in a way that makes us different when we go out there. That fundamentally, both in the short term and over a lifetime, 
might change who we are and how we are in this world is the possibility of an encounter with something greater. That if we didn't have it, well, we really would be missing something. And when we encounter it, it changes us. When we encounter the love of God and Christ, it changes us. If it's not doing that, then it all kind of just serves our own purposes and not God's. But we are told by God, today in this reading, throughout the Bible, throughout the story of God with God's people, that this need not be the case. You will find that throughout the Bible, throughout God's entire interaction, history of making God's self known to God's people, God's property is always to have mercy, as the old prayer says. God is always ready to love us extravagantly, even when we screw it up, even when we fumble it, which God knows we will. And we know that there is a sense in which we are always going to fumble things if our religious lives, if our lives of faith really are about what they're supposed to be about. These ultimate highest ideas we have, the greatest love we can imagine, of course we will fumble it. But if we listen to these words from the prophet, if we hear and receive the love and grace of God, most primarily through the love that we have with one another in a community like this one, God delights in that. And that will make us overflow back into this world. That will make our communities better. It will make it such that we are people who can say from our religious lives, the poor are cared for, the widow is protected, the stranger is welcomed. We know what this could be for us. We know exactly how this, what we do here, can inspire that very action. And if we do this, and God knows we can, because God says we can, we believe um, that this all may be so, and it is all by God's grace, and for this we give thanks each time we gather, and then we go back out to do God's work. Amen.